Amen. Great uh, singing this morning as we lift our Lord up uh, together. Now to continue our worship in our time in the Word. If you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Looking at verses 48 through 59 this morning. We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of John and are coming to the end of this longer interaction Jesus has been having with the Jews, likely still at the Feast of Tabernacles. Though the crowd is likely a mixed crowd of Jewish people, uh, there are certainly religious leaders heading up this argument against Jesus who uh, concerning who he is and um, concerning this idea of where he is from, as he has stated it. And we reach the climax of this discussion today, and it really does escalate the whole situation of Jesus' earthly ministry and sets the further trajectory of his mission to come to seek and to save those who are lost and the way in which he comes to do that. And so if you're able to, would you please stand with me just one more time this morning as I read aloud and you follow along in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You may be seated. That is the word of God. And may God bless it in both the Old Testament and New Testament reading. As we have heard it in our hearing this morning, would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, we ask that... By your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words in the original autographs, that you would now, by your same Spirit, illuminate our understanding to this text. Lord, for those of us who are in you, you can continue to open our eyes and enrich our faith by this text, and I pray that that's what you would do. And for those who do not know you, who are in our midst this morning, that today would be the day that by your Spirit you would convict them. That you would draw them to yourself, Lord, and open their eyes afresh, anew. Take their hearts of stone and turn them to hearts of flesh. Grant them repentance and faith that they may believe the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. 
And now, Lord, we ask that you would attend to our time of worship in the Word. Pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that you would be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Though many times our doctrines are comprised of a synthesis of differing, uh, different Bible verses through the canon of Scripture, there are times even when that synthesis, uh, with that synthesis, that one verse stands out as a beacon of truth regarding a particular doctrine. Uh, let me share with you a little bit of that in regard to one of the verses in our text this morning, and that is John chapter 8 and verse 58, when uh, the uh, Jews um, challenge Jesus when they say, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I was uh, sitting in my office in uh, uh, the church in St. Louis where we served for 12 years, and a man called up And um, for whatever reason, in God's providence, that call was transferred to my line. There were several of us on staff there. And the man wanted to challenge uh, our doctrinal statement about uh, the fact that Jesus is God. He is co-equal with the Father and that he is, though, a second person in the Trinity. So he either was uh, one who did not hold to Trinitarian theology um, uh, well, certainly it was that, but whether it was someone from uh, what we would call maybe a Jehovah's Witness background or a United Pentecostal background or something along those lines, I did not know. All I know is that he was challenging me on um, whether or not Jesus is God, whether or not he is co-equal with the Father. And so uh, I found myself, unfortunately, even though having gone to Bible college at that point, uh, really unable to answer the man's queries. I mean, he he had his uh, you know um, his reasoning kind of lined up, and I did not have my answers lined up well. And so um, I was embarrassed as a pastor, a full time pastor in a church, that I could not respond to this man's um, you know really his challenge is what it was. Um, I did my best. And, and sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves just doing our best with what information we have. But of course, that drove me back into the scriptures. I did answer biblically, uh, but I, I wanted something that was um, more cohesive and more coherent uh, if this challenge were brought again uh, to me, which of course, uh, this challenge is often brought to us in one way or another, whether we're sharing the good news with someone on the streets or a family member, or we happen to be uh, encountering the uh, Jehovah's Witness at the door or, or whatever the case may be. And of course, I had sort of in my, um, uh, you know, in my back pocket, I had John chapter one and verse one, but he had his response to that as well. But I thought, uh, I needed more, and so I began to dug into, dig into the studies a bit more in, in regard to that. And uh, so, um, lo and behold, I, uh, as I was studying, I, I came across, across John 8 and verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And this is, of course, a pinnacle I am statement, as we've been looking at in the scriptures, that Jesus gives. And we're going to investigate this morning uh, the reason, not only that John 8, 58 is so important, but it sort of helps us fill out this I am statement doctrine that Jesus has been uh, giving as he responds to uh, the Pharisees. And uh, one of the challenges that I want to present to us this morning is, do we know our faith? 
Do we understand what it is we believe when we say we believe it? Uh, When you become a member of Fellowship Bible Church, you sign off on a a doctrinal statement, a, a confession of faith that says that you believe that Jesus is God. And um, uh, that is something that even in our minds can be a challenge to us sometimes because we can't always fit all the pieces together. It is a great mystery. The Trinity is a great mystery that the Bible presents. And, and I want you to know that we stand, uh, even as I mentioned in my prayer earlier, we stand in a long line of tradition concerning um, the truthfulness of Jesus uh, being uh, forever, eternally God. Uh, even though we know at a point in time he put on humanity and becomes the God-man. That is a particular point in time. But we stand in a great tradition of that. From the apostles, I would say, to our day. Including the battles uh, of, that were fought by those who challenged that doctrine in the early um, years of the church. So um, when you talk about the idea of someone like uh, the Jehovah's Witness today... Uh, not believing that Jesus is God, that really stands in the line of the heresy of the Arians. And that was dealt with in councils, in the early church councils, the, the, the Council of Nicaea, the, the Council of, of, Council, uh, of Chalcedon, and, and some of these places where the church was wrestling through these things. And, and we need to not see ourselves as separated from that. We need to see ourselves as a part of that. Yes, we believe in sola scriptura, that the, the Bible is our sole or, or final authority. And, and yet we also stand in a line of people who have done these or, or fought these battles in the past. And so we need to recognize the places where they have drawn from Scripture and synthesized these truths. Now, if I'm not careful, we'll just spend all of our time talking about that. And we do need to dive into our text this morning um, but here's what I want us to see this morning. It's written for you on the back of your worship folder there. Or if you happen to have the, the email uh, at home uh, this morning uh, with you, if you're watching via live stream. The main point is this. Anyone who wants to be reconciled to God must believe that Jesus is the I Am. And that's a weird way to state it, isn't it? To put that uh, definite article in front of I Am. But this is so important for our understanding this morning. It, it, it really is the... Um, the fullness of what Jesus has been saying that comes to, to bear in our text this morning and the reason that those who are listening to Jesus pick up stones to stone him because they understand exactly who he is saying he is. Anyone who wants to be reconciled to God must believe that Jesus is the I Am. And now, again, I don't want to say that there is no such thing as a simplistic faith, that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ for, uh, you know, they're coming to faith in Christ, they're, they're just understanding, beginning to understand these things, that they're going to necessarily grasp all of what this means. But it is something that we present, isn't it? That Jesus is God. If we do not, in our gospel presentations, help people understand that it is the second person of the Trinity, that God comes and dies in our place, and that is what is necessary, then we are short-shrifting the gospel. But I want us to see this morning one affirmation and two denials exhibited in our text. One affirmation and two denials exhibited in our text. The first is that affirmation. Number one there on your outline. Anyone who keeps the word of Christ will not see death. 
Anyone who keeps the word of Christ will not see death. In other words, if you are one who wants to have eternal life, you will listen to the words of Jesus, which ultimately is all of Scripture, and you will believe those things, and you will trust what he says about himself and his mission, his ministry, and all that that entails. That is what Jesus means when he says this. It's not simply the words he speaks, but they are the words that he speaks in concert with the rest of Scripture. Which if we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, which we ought to believe. By the way, if you're a member of this church, you've signed off on that as well. Uh, If we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, we understand that that this is from God. And therefore, Jesus' words as well. The Jews' response to Jesus' last statement, previous to what he says here, is that he is a Samaritan, not a true Jew, and that he has a demon. So even through this sort of first verse in our text this morning, we see the level to which things have escalated here in this conversation, if you will. Uh, it's, it's more really of a challenge that... Um, the Pharisees and the Jews are presenting to Jesus. So they say now uh, in response to what he has said in verses 34 through 38 and, and previously really, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, verse 34 of chapter 8. That slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're, you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So even hear this idea of word, his word once again. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And he's already told them their father is the devil. And so their response to that is this. Wait, you want to say that we're of the devil? No, you are not even a Jew, and you have a demon. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing, as Abraham's, uh, doing the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, and so forth and so on. And so as they're working their way through this conversation... They say in verse 48, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Rather than attributing to Jesus truthfulness in his statements and the foundation of what he is saying as true by virtue of his miracles, keep that in mind. They have seen him perform miracles, things that can only be done uh, by a prophet in the Old Testament, things that can only be done by the power of God in those prophets Jesus is a prophet. He is the prophet, priest, and king. They cannot deny what he has done. So they have to attribute it to something else. They've seen it. So they say, you must be demon-possessed. The only way you can do these things. Rather than attributing to Jesus' truthfulness in his statements and the foundations of what he is saying, true by virtue of his miracles, the things that they have seen, the things they cannot deny, they accuse him of being essentially a half-breed Jew and demon-possessed. They've already called into question his parentage because they think that he is born of sin, that he is an illegitimate child. We know what happened with your mother. Perhaps now we understand that to be because you are, it was hidden because you're a Samaritan. And by the way, you also do these things by demons. Jesus replies that he does not have a demon. In fact, his actions and speech show that he honors his father. Look at what it says in verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Even as he honors his father, they dishonor him. By implication, what Jesus is saying, um, they dishonor the father by dishonoring him. 
by what he has already said about who they are, who he is, who the Father is, how he is in relation to the Father, what he has done as a result of the Father sending him. Because they do not take him at his word, they're actually dishonoring the God whom they say they worship. And then he says that he is honored by the Father. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. The way in which they can honor Jesus is to keep his word. But they're not even willing to hear his word. Everything that he has said up until this point, right in this response to him, is a rejection of him. There's a rejection of who he says he is and that he comes from the Father. Therefore, they are rejecting the Father. They cannot even see past their arrogance in thinking that they know God to hear God. They could honor Jesus if they kept his word. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. It's an interesting irony that Jesus is speaking about how they want to kill him, while at the same time he is offering them eternal life. You catch that? (laughs) They want to kill him, and he keeps bringing this up, but he also continues to bring up, if you would but believe what I say, you will never see death. A side note application here is that this should be our stance as followers of Jesus, as followers in his footstep, his footsteps, while people are threatening death for our faith, we are offering them life through the gospel. This will happen sooner or later, dear ones. This will happen sooner or later. The threat of persecution is increasing day by day, and we must be ready. We must be ready to defend with truth. Can I put it this way? In this hot season, as it were, of politics, we should be known better for our gospel stance than our political stance. I'm not saying there's never any overlap in those worlds, but what are you known better for? And today I want to offer you the truth That if you have not turned from your sins and embraced Christ, you will see death. You will see eternal death. But if you trust in Christ's words, you will see and have eternal life. However, the Jews are not having it. Here they prove again that they are hearing him, but they are not accepting what he is saying. Rather than focusing on the offer, they are focusing on a wooden, literal understanding of what Jesus is saying, as we see in our second point. Secondly, anyone who denies, here's our first denial. So we saw the first affirmation that if you take Jesus at his word, you you will not see death. Here's the first denial. Anyone who denies that Jesus is greater than Abraham does not know God. Anyone who denies that Jesus is greater than Abraham does not know God. Their response betrays their lack of understanding. Look at verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. 
And this is basically what they're saying. You have a demon because what you say cannot be true. They have missed the substance of what he has said, which is that he comes from the Father, that he is honored by the Father, and therefore he is more than who they see. That is the reality. I mean, if anybody were to come along and say to us, I am God in the flesh, what would we want? We would want proof of that. But Jesus has, by God and through the Spirit, furnished truth to them. And yet they still do not believe. Their hearts are hardened even further by Jesus' truth. They cannot reconcile what Jesus is saying with their understanding. And so rather than ask questions, they make assumptions and draw conclusions. Abraham died. The prophets died. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? And this is the, again, this is pushing toward that reality to which Jesus is getting, to which Jesus is aiming. That yes, he is greater than Abraham. That yes, he is indeed God, eternal God. Rather than asking the kinds of questions that would lead to further unveiling of who he is, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And that's a great question. That's the question that Jesus has been seeking to answer, but it's not asked with a, 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 a truthfulness of wanting to know what that really is. Who do you make yourself out to be? The, the Christian Standard Bible translates this this way. Who do you claim to be? And I like what the NIV says. I think it gives a real sense of sort of the um, arrogance here. The NIV says, who do you think you are? This sets up the contrast of who Jesus has been saying that he is over against their skepticism and their denial. Who do you think you are? Interestingly, to this, Jesus responds that he is not bringing glory to himself, but rather it is the Father who glorifies him. Look at verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus has very rarely in the Gospel of John, and really throughout the Gospels, come right out and said that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, in the sense that it's, it's as clear as what they're wanting him to say. And why is that? Because his glory at the present time is veiled. His glory is veiled because he is God in flesh. Now, there is a time where that glory is lifted for a moment, and, or that veil is lifted for a moment, and that glory is shown. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and if we are familiar with the Bible, we, we remember that. We recall that. It was a very small group of men who were there with him, and they saw that. And the glory of that was revealed to them. But it's interesting that Peter says in regard to that event that the, the word of God is a more confirming reality than even what he saw on the mountaintop. And why is that? Because not everybody was given that privilege or that opportunity. How is it expressed? How is that glory expressed? 
Well, Peter does say in Acts chapter 2 that that glory is expressed, expressed through the miracles that God did through Jesus. So the very thing that God is doing to reveal the glory of Jesus to the people, they're denying, they're rejecting. Do you see that? Do you see what's going on here? Jesus keeps saying, I am not the one who brings glory upon myself. It is the Father who glorifies me. And and he's speaking in one sense of the glory that is shown through the miraculous signs that Jesus has done in his earthly ministry. And in another sense, we'll see later on in, in John, where Jesus prays and says, Lord, restore me to, Father, restore me to the glory that I had with you previously. Previous to what? Previous to the incarnation. Because that glory is veiled. Jesus does not walk the earth as um, uh, uh, one whose glory is unveiled. He doesn't float two feet off the ground everywhere he goes. The, 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 the eminence of his godhood is not shining through his eyes. But that glory is seen as the Father reveals it through the miracles. And Jesus is saying, everything I'm saying to you has been affirmed through this. And yet you reject it. I don't glorify myself. You ask me directly who I am. I'm telling you that God is showing you who I am. And yet you reject it. And then to add to this, Jesus declares this one who glorified him to be the one who they call their father. In other words, Jesus is saying to deny him... The glory that is given to him by the Father is to deny the Father. And therefore he tells them, but you have not known him, in verse 55. Now you have to understand, this is the very essence of being Jewish for these folks. They know God. God has revealed himself to them through the old covenant. He has given them his law. They, for, for them to deny knowing God would, for them, would be for them to deny being Jewish. And Jesus is saying, you don't know him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. And once again, we get this sort of, from John chapter 1, face-to-face reality of the eternal relations between the Father, Son, and the Spirit that we looked at. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's the idea there. This face-to-face relationship, as it were. This eternal, ongoing relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus said, if I said I did not know him, I would be a liar. For I mean, you could, you could put the theological language with it, for I have known him eternally. But you are a liar because you do not know him. And by keeping his word, Jesus could mean keeping of the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly. It is, after all, his law. Jesus could mean to keep his word means that he is doing the mission that he has been sent to do by the Father in the great eternal plan of the Trinity. He knows him and is telling the truth. They say they know him, but they are liars. Jesus then takes their language and turns it back on them. Look at verse 56. What have they, they claimed? 
our father is Abraham, right? Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Their claim, Abraham is our father, Jesus. Okay, if Abraham is your father, what did he think about me? If you're claiming that Abraham is your father, what did he say about me? He rejoiced to see my day, and he was glad. What does it mean that Abraham saw the day of Jesus? Well, it does not mean that Abraham knew everything about Jesus as we understand him from our vantage after his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, uh, his ascension, and the subsequent founding of the New Testament, New Covenant Church. We have what was in shadows, as the author of Hebrews says, revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It does mean that Abraham understood the promise of God and the seed promise was fulfilled in Isaac and through Isaac would come one who would bless all the nations and from Abraham would come nations, the nations of faith as it were. What did Abraham see? He saw the birth of his son. The promised son, Isaac. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we preached the the last passage. What did Abraham do? He took his son to the mountaintop to offer him as a sacrifice. What did Abraham believe? The book of Hebrews says that Abraham believes that if he had done that, that God would have raised Isaac from the dead. Why? Because Isaac was the promised son. God said specifically, no other son will receive this promise. Not one in your Uh, servants' sons, not Ishmael, but Isaac. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the prefiguring of the death and resurrection of the Messiah, Abraham believed that Isaac, his son, through whom the promise would come, would be raised even if he had sacrificed him. And what does God do on that mountaintop? He provides a substitute. The ram caught in the thicket. Now Abraham doesn't know this as clearly as we do, but Jesus is the ram caught in the thicket. Because we deserve to be on that tree. John Calvin says of this verse, Though the knowledge of Christ was still obscure, Abraham was inflamed by so strong a desire that he preferred the enjoyment of it to everything that was reckoned desirable. How base then is the ingratitude of those who despise and reject him, who reject Jesus, when he is plainly offered to them. Again, we see this irony. Jesus is there saying, you want to kill me, but I offer you eternal life. How base is the rejection of those when it is offered plainly to them. The word day, when it says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, the word day means the time of Christ's kingdom when he appeared in the world clothed with flesh to fulfill the office of Redeemer. He is the ram in the thicket. And if we are believers today, we are in that lineage 
of Abraham. We are those who God has called and we have believed as those who are children of Abraham. The advantage we have is that we have seen the fullness of revelation, though not face to face. We know the fullness of the revelation of God and Jesus Christ in the scriptures. As Jesus says of us in John chapter 20 and verse 29, he speaks of us there. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Brothers and sisters, Jesus prays for us. And tells us that we are blessed because we believe and yet have not seen. But oh, how we long to see. Do we not? Perhaps you're here this morning and you've heard and not received. Have not seen and have not believed. My call to you this morning is hear the words of Jesus. He is who he says he is. And just as he is calling to these Jewish people who are rejecting him to see who he truly is, to see what he has come to do. We know from this vantage point that it is done. The work is finished. And my call to you is to repent and believe the gospel, dear ones, this morning, if you've not done that. The great upset to the Jews is not the claim that Abraham saw the days of Messiah, but that Jesus would claim that he has seen Abraham, which is our final point. Number three, the second denial Anyone who denies that Jesus is God does not know God. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. The argument against Christ's claim is that he's not old enough. They're thinking so concretely and so woodenly, even though they have seen him perform miracles, signs that point to the veracity, the truthfulness of who he says he is. They cannot deny the miracles. They cannot deny what he has done. And so they think at this physical, literal only level. What they are not understanding is the eternal nature of Jesus. His deity is the eternal Son of God. Though he has stated it many times in this conversation that he is from the Father and that it is the Father who glorifies him they refuse to believe that he is from God and they will refuse and now they will refuse to believe he is God even as this is his claim in verse 58 look at it again verse 57 first so the Jews said to him you are not 50 years old and you have not and have you seen Abraham sorry verse 58 Jesus said to them truly truly remember what that is when Jesus says truly truly rabbis in that day would end their end their statements with amen and amen. So be it and so be it. Jesus begins his statement front-loading it, saying this is true. Amen and amen, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Though Jesus has made I am statements before, this is the clearest declarative statement of him identifying himself as Yahweh, as they would know the name of God in the Old Testament. How do we know this? How do we know this to be the case? Well, let's just think about the language that Jesus uses here in the original. Um, the usage of the verb indicates the meaning. Before Abraham was, I am. Another way of saying it is before Abraham existed, I existed eternally. This is the same idea of uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word already was. He was already in existence. Before Abraham ever existed, I, I existed eternally. 
D.A. Carson points out the parallel with Isaiah 41.4, which we heard in our Old Testament scripture reading this morning. I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. Which, if you were able to take the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, which is called the Septuagint, and see this verse in its Greek translation, we would see very much why the Jews do what they do next. Because they understand exactly what Jesus is saying. Remember, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, is was, their, was the text that they read. Now, if they were good Jewish people, they obviously studied it in the Hebrew as well. But they knew the Septuagint. They knew the translation in the Greek of Yahweh is ego eimi, I am. And so here Jesus uses that terminology. Before Abraham was, before he ever existed, I am. I am the ever-existing one. Jesus is claiming to be God here. There is no doubt. There is no shadow of a doubt. This is what Jesus is claiming. So what do they do? Oh my goodness, let us bow down and worship. This is the Lord God. Is that what they do? No. Just like their stony hearts, they pick up stones to kill him. The heat has risen so much in this situation that they now do not care to hide the fact that what Jesus has said about them is actually their intent. Remember they said, what do you mean we want to kill you? You're crazy. And the heat has risen so much in this moment that they actually pick up stones to begin to stone him. They want to kill him right here and right now for what he has claimed. And it shows the ugly, dark intent of their heart. They desire him to be dead. Now there's another irony here in the fact that even as they have threatened death, as Jesus is offering them eternal life, even as they now threaten to kill him, eternal life cannot be given without his death. Jesus must die. In order for fleshy humans to live eternally, the eternal Son of God in the flesh must die. Now we understand that he too must be raised from the dead for us to be raised from the dead. But you understand my meaning this morning. Even as they seek to kill him, there must be death. He must die. However, it is not time for the son to die. Therefore, as it says in the text, he hides himself from them and goes out of the temple. This is not a means of weakness from Jesus, but a means of timing. For even though they seek to kill him, he does not hide himself from public ministry, as we'll see in our next passage. But for now, let us ponder together what we've seen today. Firstly, this. Are you one who affirms or denies who Jesus has shown himself to be in this text and in the the context of John's gospel and the context of all the scriptures? If you are one who affirms it, does that mean you not only make a positive affirmation of it in your mind, but you have also trusted him as the true eternal son of God? who is equal with God in essence. But, I'm sorry, equal with the Father in essence, but who according to his eternal operations as the Son was sent by the Father, put on flesh, lived a perfect life, dies the death that we deserved, and has been raised and ascended until he comes again. If yes, my question to you, if you're trusting in that, are you hoping in that daily? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Are you standing on the solid rock of Jesus 
and who he is and who he says he is? Are you resting in that and out of gratitude for what he has done and by the transforming power of the Spirit, are you living for him? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. And as one who therefore shows your love for God by obedience to him, are you also loving your neighbor? Specifically, reaching out and encouraging those in this local assembly to trust him and walk faithfully with him by his Spirit. And then as God gives you opportunity to love your neighbor as God has people enter into your life by meeting needs, but also proclaiming the gospel as the greatest need that they have. Walk faithfully, dear ones. Walk faithfully. Lastly, if you're one who has denied these truths, my call to you today is to turn from your sin, to trust alone in Christ. If you have any questions about that, please come and see me. See one of the pastors who's been up here today. We'd be happy to talk with you about that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for expressing that you are Yahweh. Lord Jesus, you are the I Am. The eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, who came as sent by the Father, as empowered by the Spirit, who put on flesh, true human, true God, in order to be the perfect sacrifice to stand in the place of sinners like me. Thank you, Lord. May we live lives of gratitude and obedience to you, not to earn favor with you, but, Lord, because we love you, because... You showed us our guilt by the law. You showed us grace by the cross and the resurrection. And you saved us by your grace. Lord, may we now live in gratitude and obedience and love to you. And for those who do not know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of guilt and grace, that they would understand their sins, that they would see the grace of Jesus Christ hung upon a tree in their stead, risen again, as a proof that sin and death have been dealt with and that they would believe the gospel today and therefore live lives of gratitude. We praise you, Lord. We were reminded this morning we don't deserve it. It wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be mercy if we did. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We long to see you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.